chapter twelve of yon of the windmill this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org yon of the windmill by juliana horatia ewing chapter twelve the white horse comrogues more dick george confides in the cheap jack with reservation when the cheap jack's horse came to the brow of the hill it stopped and with drooping neck stood still as before the cheap jack was busy with george and it was at no word from him that the poor beast paused it knew at what point to wait and it waited there was little temptation to go on the road down the hill had just been mended with flints some of these were the size of an average turnip and the hill was steep so the old horse poked out his nose and stood almost dozing till the sound of the cheap jack's shuffling footsteps caused him to prick his ears and brace his muscles for a fresh start the miller's man came also who was sulky whilst the cheap jack was civil he gave his horse a cut across the knees to remind him to plant his feet carefully among the sharp boulders and then choosing a smooth bit by the side of the road he and george went forward together you've took to pictures i see said george nodding towards the cart so i have my dear said the cheap jack anything for a livelihood an honest livelihood you know george and he winked at the miller's man who relaxed his sulkiness for a guffaw you've had so little in my way lately george the hunchback continued looking sharply sideways up at his companion sly business has been slack my dear eh but george made no answer and the cheap jack after relieving his feelings by another cut at the horse changed the subject that's a sharp little brat of the miller's said he alluding to jan and he ain't much like the others old-fashioned too children mostly likes the gay picters and words their mothers for em bless em but he picked out an ancient-looking thing came from a bankrupt pawn-shop my dear in a lot i almost think i let it go too cheap but that's my failing and a beggarly place like this ain't like london in london there's a place for everything my dear and shops for old goods as well as new and customers too and the older and dirtier some things is the more they fetches there was a pause for george did not speak and the cheap jack bent upon amiability repeated his remark a sharp little brat too what be e harping on about him for asked george suspiciously i knows what i knows about un but that's no business of yours you know about most things my dear said the cheap jack flatteringly 
they'll have to get up very early that catch you napping but what about the child george never you mind said george but he ain't none of the millers i'll tell ye that and he ain't the missus's neither what is he to you my dear asked the dwarf curiously and getting no answer he went on he'd be useful in a good many lines he'd not do bad in a circus but he'd draw prime as a young prodigy george looked round you be thinking of stealing he then as well as hush my dear said the dwarf no no i don't want him but there was a good deal of snatching young kids done in my young days for sweeps destitute orphans juvenile performers and so on he wouldn't suit you grinned george a comes of genteel folk and a's not hard enough for how you treat em you're out there george said the dwarf human beings is like osses it's the genteelest as stands the most specially if they've been well fed when they was babies at this point the cheap jack was interrupted by his horse stumbling over a huge jagged lump of flint that with the rest of the road mending was a disgrace to a highway of a civilized country a rate-payer or a horse-keeper might have been excused for losing his temper with the authorities of the road-mending department but the cheap jack's wrath fell upon his horse he beat him over the knees for stumbling and across the hind legs for slipping and over his face for wincing and accompanied his blows with a torrent of abuse what a moment that must have been for balaam's ass in which she found voice to remonstrate against the unjust blows which have nevertheless fallen pretty thickly ever since upon her descendants and their fellow-servants of ungrateful man from how many patient eyes that old reproach of long service still requited yet speaks almost as plainly as the voice that rebuked the madness of the prophet the cheap jack's white horse had a point of resemblance to the genteel human beings of whom he had been speaking it had come of a good stock and had seen better and kinder days and to it also in its misfortunes there remained that nobility of spirit which rises in proportion to the ills it meets with the poor old thing was miserably weak and sore and jaded and the flints were torture but it rallied its forces gave a desperate struggle and got the cart safely to the bottom of the hill here the road turned sharply and the horse went on but after a few paces it stopped as before this time in front of a small public-house where trembling and bathed in perspiration it waited for its master the public-house was a small dark dingy-looking hovel with a reputation fitted to its appearance a dirty grim-looking man nodded to the cheap jack and george as they entered and a girl equally dirty 
but much handsomer brought glasses of spirits to which the friends applied themselves at the cheap jack's expense george grew more sociable and the cheap jack reproached him with want of confidence in his friends you're so precious sharp my dear said the hunchback who knew well on what point george liked to be flattered that you overreaches yourself i don't complain after all the business we've done together that it's turned slack all of a sudden you says they're down on you and that's enough for me i don't complain that you've got your own plans and keeps em as secret as the grave but i says you'll regret it if you was a good scholar george you could do without friends you're so precious sharp but you're no scholar my dear and you'll be let in yet by a worse friend than cheap john george so bitterly regretted his want of common learning and the stupidity which made him still slow to decipher print and utterly puzzled by writing that the cheap jack's remarks told strongly these and the conversation they had had on the hill recalled to his mind a matter which was still a mystery to the miller's man look here jack said he leaning across the dirty little table if you be such a good scholar what do m o e r d y k spell say it again george said the dwarf but when after that he still looked puzzled george laughed long and loudly you be a good scholar he cried you be a fine friend too for a ignorant man if a can't tell the first word of a letter tis likely e could read the whole too the first word of a letter eh said the dwarf the very first said george tis a long way you'd get in it and stuck at the start up in the corner at the top eh said the dwarf so it be said george and he laughed no longer it's the name of a place then said the cheap jack and it ain't to be expected i should know the names of all the places in the world george my dear it was a great triumph for the cheap jack as george's face betrayed if george had trusted him a little more he might have known the meaning of the mysterious word years ago the name of a place the place from which the letter was written the place where something might be learned about the writer of the letter and of the gentleman to whom it was written for george knew so much it was written to a gentleman and to a gentleman who had money and who had secrets and therefore a gentleman from whom money might be got by interfering in his secrets the miller's man was very ignorant and very stupid in spite of a certain low cunning not at all incompatible with gross ignorance he had no knowledge of the world his very knowledge of malpractices and mischief was confined to the evil doings of one or two other ill-conditioned country lads like himself who robbed their neighbours on dark nights and disposed of the spoil by the help of such men as the cheap jack and the landlord of the public-house at the bottom of the hill 
but by loitering about on that stormy night years ago when he should have been attending to the mill he had picked up enough to show him that the strange gentleman had no mind to have his proceedings as to the little jan generally known this and some sort of traditional idea that sharp though penniless men had at times wrung a great deal of money from rich people by threatening to betray their secrets was the sole foundation of george's hopes in connection with the letter it was his very ignorance which hindered him from seeing the innumerable chances against his getting to know anything important enough even if he could use his information to procure a bribe he had long given up the idea as hopeless though he had kept the letter but it revived when the cheap jack solved the puzzle which abel could not explain and george finally promised to let his friend read the whole letter for him he also allowed that it concerned jan or that he supposed it to do so he related jan's history and confessed that he had picked up the letter which was being blown about near the mill on the night of jan's arrival in this statement there was some truth and some falsehood for in the opinion of the miller's man if your own interest obliged you to confide in a friend it was at least wise to hedge the confidence by not telling all the truth or by qualifying it with lies this mental process was however at least equally familiar to the cheap jack and he did not hesitate in his own mind to feel sure that the letter had not been found but stolen in which he was farther from the truth than if he had simply believed george but then he was not in the neighbourhood five years back and as it happened he had never heard of the lost pocket-book end of chapter twelve